Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If we get your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're taking notes, or even if you have an ink pen, and you can write this in your Bible. <gasps> yep, I said it. It's okay to write in your Bible. Um, I have a few things I want you to write down. There's a little shock factor involved with these things. You can try to remember them, but I'm just going to need you to write them down and remember them, and then, and then later um, it'll be revealed to you a little bit more clearly, okay? So these are the things I need you to write down. You ready? Number one, I am a fool. Number two, I am weak. Number three, I am nothing special. Number four, I am despised. Let's close in prayer. Y'all can work that out later. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, it's important to point out at the beginning of this that uh, the church in Corinth, um, I believe it was the fourth largest city um, in the Roman Empire. Um, it was on a trade route. It was just riddled with sin. It was just absolutely riddled with sin. Um, if, if you read first and se- the book of First and Second Corinthians, it reveals to us what a lot of the sinfulness actually was. You know, this this city actually had a temple on the highest point in the city that had a thousand prostitutes in it. And every night those prostitutes would leave that temple, go down into the city, and just, you could imagine, the city and the, the sin that was going on in the city. The Apostle Paul addressed, um, addressed uh, incest in this book. Um, he has addressed individuals in the church who were turning a blind eye to it, some individuals in the church who justified it, um, he talked about um, individuals who in the church justified eating things that were sacrificed to idols. And, and the point in the entire letter, this first letter was, it created problems inside the church. Now we're going to notice this first chapter is actually on unity, but I don't want you to be confused. This isn't unity of the spirit, the spirit like the Ephesians chapter 4 addresses. This is unity of doctrine. Unity of doctrine. Now, unity of doctrine is something that's missing in the world. Uh, how many denominations are there? I don't know either, but I can only tell you that there are several hundred denominations, potentially even thousands of denominations in the world, simply because of the fact that we disagree on doctrine. Now, those denominations create an atmosphere for individuals to be able to say, we believe alike, therefore we meet together and we study the word of God. So their problem was uh, doctrinal issues. They did not have any uh, unity when it came to particular topics or items of discussion on practically anything. And you can imagine the problem that it would cause to have individuals who were accepting the services of these prostitutes, who were justifying incest, who were, um, who were holding solid positions on, on idolatry, 
And the Apostle Paul is trying to address these things. In this first chapter, he starts off by trying to uh, address the disunity. Um, and then the end of the chapter, I will get to, I promise, I have to, and I don't have a whole lot of time to do it. We got started late today, uh, but I'm going to make sure that I get to it. It's important because I've already made you call yourself a fool and weak and nothing special and, uh, and despised. So we got to get to the, to the end of the passage of Scripture. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says, Paul called as an apostle of, of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. It's important the Apostle Paul um, announced himself as someone who was an apostle uh, because it gave him credence in what it was that he was writing. you got to remember, at this time, no, no books of the Bible had been produced. Um, anybody could send a letter to a church and claim... Uh, claim a position of authority on whatever it was that they were speaking about. The Apostle Paul mentioned that he was an apostle because it gave him the authority to uh, to to be able to to flat tell people, I know what Jesus Christ meant. He taught me, and since I know what Jesus Christ meant, then I am a firsthand source telling you exactly what is right and exactly what is wrong. The only source of doctrine back then were the individuals who were eyewitnesses or individuals who were taught by Jesus. An interesting reason why Jesus Christ called the twelve and and established that the twelve were the ones who were going to start the church. It was important that the people who held the doctrine were the ones that had the say in how the church was to be established. The Apostle Paul did establish the church in Corinth on a second missionary journey. Now somebody would say tattletale. Somebody by the name of Chloe, or somebody in, Clam, in, in Chloe's household, and we don't know whether Chloe is a man or a woman, not important anyway. The Apostle Paul was about 200 miles away. Um, but the city the Apostle Paul was in and Corinth were a main route, so information could travel rather swiftly back and forth. Paul gets a visit from somebody from Chloe's family, and Chloe's family tells the Apostle Paul what all's going on in the church in Corinth. So the Apostle Paul sits down, being the one who was the apostle to the Gentiles that had the authority to basically tell them, this is what the truth is, and this is what the truth needs to be held as. So in chapter or verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech, and all knowledge. Now we know when he says in all speech and all knowledge, he's actually talking about the enrichment is one, we are, we are enriched by God by requesting that enrichment through prayer and then gaining that enrichment through the study of doctrine, the study of God's word. So the two things that these individuals needed to be able to function as a church, they had. Um, how many of you guys have Bibles in your house? How many of you have more than two? How many have more than five? How many of you have more than ten? I mean, is there really any excuse whatsoever for us to be able to say, I didn't know any better? Is there any excuse? Now, the thing is this. We as human beings believe that we are the ones that hold the power to be able to go out and to tell people about Jesus. But we don't. Remember? What are you? Yeah, you're a fool. We're weak. 
We're nothing special. We're despised, right? So when we decide that we are going to do things within our power, how does that turn out? Well, we do things like not share the gospel because we're afraid of how people are going to react to it. We do things like not stand up and say when somebody's doing something wrong because we're afraid the world's going to turn against us. We're weak. Right? I mean, honestly, this is the life that we live. But the enrichment that comes in Christ, that enrichment gives us the ability to proclaim a gospel. It's not because we contain the ability in and of ourselves. It's because we have been given the ability through the grace and peace that God has given us to proclaim that gospel message and for us to continue to grow in the knowledge that gives us the ability to proclaim it. Many people have told me before, well, I've got the boldness to do it. I'm just afraid somebody's going to ask me something that I don't know. Well, how do you fix that? Everybody should occasionally have to tell somebody, you know what, I'm not sure about that answer, but I can find the answer and get back to you. But not near every question somebody asks. We are only able to proclaim the gospel because he gave us, he gave us the information that we can gain the knowledge on to be able to proclaim that gospel. The gospel, is it just on salvation in Christ? The gospel is everything. The gospel doesn't just promote salvation. It also promotes discipleship, sanctification, encouragement, justification. It gives us so many benefits. But the only way we have the ability to use it is if we take the responsibility to know it. Verse 6, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not confuse the day of our Lord Jesus Christ with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. The day of the Lord Jesus Christ is the day of his coming, the day that he comes and raptures his church out. Now, stick with me. Salvation in its spiritual concept has been, our context, has been accomplished in each and every one of us who have trusted in him. When is it fulfilled? I mean... The Bible says that one of the results of salvation is eternal life. Amen? Anybody in here feel like right now you're going to live forever? The Bible also says we're all going to be given a new body. Amen? Kevin, you expecting to get that while you're here? We're going to get it, but it isn't fulfilled yet. Our, our bodies will be renewed on the day that we die or the day that Christ comes back and gets us. So salvation is being accomplished in us. In other words, it's not that our salvation and accomplishing our salvation doesn't happen in Christ. It absolutely does. But the fulfillment of the promises as a result of salvation, those are things that we are progressively moving towards. Got a watch on? Take a look at your watch sometime. And every time that it ticks, if you just want to be depressed for one day, Every time that it ticks, think, think that you're one second closer to dying. Or you're one second closer to Jesus coming back. Now, if everything's right in your life, that's okay, right? Whenever the Lord wants me, the Lord can have me. Amen? 
But if we look at the next second and we're still here, guess what? The work of salvation is still being accomplished in us. I remember a couple of the secular jobs that I worked in. I pretty much just didn't have anything to do. And my boss would come to me and he would say, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. He said, well, why not? I said, because I have nothing to do. He said, do something. And my dad loved the phrase, do something even if it's wrong. Don't just sit still. And that's what we as Christians do. It's like we just sit around in the spiritual side of our life. We wait to dodge the problems in our life. And then when a problem hits us, we wait until somebody else takes care of the problem. This is salvation is being accomplished in us. That means that God is continuing to fulfill everything that he promised in our lives on a daily basis. The Apostle Paul, he said to die is gain, but to live is Christ. He said he was, he was, that he was sure that God was going to let him live, paraphrasing. He was sure that God was going to let him live because he knew that it would be fruitful for him to labor for those who he was ministering to. It's about what God's doing with us. And I want you to hold on to that for a little while. Nine, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul and I of Apollos, I of Cephas and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul has not, has not, was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, that no man should say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. The problem with following people is that people have different opinions about different things. Now the Apostle Paul saying that God did not send him to baptize, he wasn't putting down baptism. It was the Apostle Paul saying, God didn't send me to form a cult. He didn't send me to divide his church. He didn't send me to create an organization surrounding me. All of the mentality and the spirituality of Christianity is supposed to revolve around Christ and what Christ has done. I've been in ministry a long time. And I've watched, and there are people who follow people. There are people who follow people. And every one of us who have spent any time in church at all, we know the divisiveness of following people. We know exactly how much it has the power to divide a church. And besides dividing the church, dividing its attention. This unity in doctrine, the unity in doctrine is a requirement because it doesn't take into account any person's opinion. The Bible is the truth. There are people as we speak who are seeking to rewrite it, to redefine it. There are bad translations out there. 
There is a gender-neutral translation out there now. It's called the TNIV. Folks, if we as a church are going to be a church that can function in one mind and one purpose, that mind and that purpose has to have a common foundation. And that common foundation cannot rest on a person. It can't. Because if you're going to make it rest on me as your pastor, guess what I am? I am a fool. I am weak. I am nothing special. And I am despised. Because the last time I checked, I'm still a human being. It can't revolve around human beings. We are not worthy of it. We will create problems. We will throw a monkey wrench in what God is trying to do. We only become truly unified under the doctrine that we all agree is without error, that is applicable to every form of human life. Christ has to be the center. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness, or to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, the interesting thing about, you know, I I started us off with, I'm a fool, right? This word foolishness, the root word for the word foolishness in the Greek is moron. It's moron. It's, it's a word that, it's a word that literally means and, and here's what the deal is, and we'll get into this a little bit further down. I'll try, I'll try to move quickly through this. Um, it's a word that means an individual who looks towards human wisdom rather than, rather than faith. One of the biggest drawbacks of the church today is we are way too much realists. A little bit of realism is okay. I think it's good. That's how we actually are individuals who watch closely and make sure that we're being good stewards with the things that God's given us. Um, there are scale, there are scales, scales and things to use with this. But one of the greatest drawbacks of the church today is we're morons. All of us were morons before we come to know Christ. But once we come to know Christ, and you can attest to this in your own life, once we come to know Christ, what we were realists about before began to be, to transition into things that were that were produced by faith, not by what we consider to be real. I mean, in order for you to trust in Jesus Christ, you literally had to believe in the virgin birth. Is that a realist situation? It's a faith situation. Everybody in this planet is on one of two paths. They're either being led to salvation, which is completed at the point that Christ comes or at the point that we take our last breath. Or they're headed down the path of destruction, which is completed either on the day that Christ comes or the day they take their last breath. Verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God as well, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than, than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look at the first few words in the next verse, and don't read beyond it. For consider your calling. See, this is where the transition happened. I mean, if that was all that I was to say, I could preach a message in five minutes that was just consider your calling. Besides the fact that you look at God who looks down at a planet of seven billion people and he sees you. Not as in you in a crowd, but he sees you as in you. He created us. He knows our personalities. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He called us as individuals. He called out to us specifically. If that doesn't make it personal, I don't know what does. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many of you wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Folks, we're powered way too much on our fallen-natured person. When we realize that we're individuals who really are nothing, but in Christ, we were made something. And when Christ moves into our life, he makes us more than capable of things that we were never capable of before. And if there is any fear in your body about anything that God has called you to do, then there is question about who is doing it. I don't want to teach, I'm scared to. Who's doing it? I feel the tug on my life to be called into ministry. But it scares me. Who's doing it? I want to tell people about Jesus. It just terrifies me. Who's doing it? Consider your calling.
the God who took everything that was incapable and made it capable. The God who took the foolish and made them wise. The God who took the weak and made them strong. The God who took the nothing specials and turned them into something very special. The God who took the despised and made them admired. I lived my whole life. I had these things going on in my life. You're going to be a youth pastor. I can't do that. You're going to be a deacon. I can't do that. You're going to be a preacher. There is absolutely no way. In hindsight, that was really me just saying, God, I'm going to do what I do in my power and my strength. Because if I bring his power and his strength into the picture, what's possible? Everything is possible. So you take special notice in your life the next time the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, and you take special notice of the first word that, you, that comes out of your mouth in response. Because what we say is, I can't. And you take special notice of that first word because that puts the, the attention right where it should be. Are we looking to God, the one who made us special? Or are we just looking at ourselves apart from him and realizing what we are? If we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ and have faith in him, the letter I should never be a part of our vocabulary. And instead of us saying, I can't, we should be saying, he can. We have the ability, folks, as a church, to be a church. I'm proud of Highland. I, I am. I, leaps and bounds. I would love to see the church full of people. I believe the day could come where individuals will come to a church that loves the truth. I think that we're approaching a time in our world where the truth is not easily accepted. And when an individual does come and they hear the truth, either they're going to accept it or not. But we can never forget what God called us to be. A church. And when it comes time for us to step out on faith, we better be ready to say he can. When it comes time for us to step into a calling that God has called us into with the gift that he's given us, we better be people who are refusing to say I can't and who are willing to say he can. Because I'll tell you something. The churches that teach the truth, that believe that the Bible has no errors in it, who believes that it's applicable, to every point of human life, they're falling off by the thousands a day. We are quickly becoming a serious minority in the world. There are lost people out there who need him. And God didn't create our fist and our thumb to sit on our fist and lean back on our thumb. So whether it comes to paying for kids to go to camp, 
walking down the street and handing people information about the church. Financially supporting a budget that will start sending postcards. Financially supporting a budget that will support ministries that promote the gospel. Being somebody who is in bodily form, promoting and supporting those ministries by being what they can be and doing what they can do in Christ. I'll tell you what, folks, you look around, there are an awful lot of churches who are only a church because they have the sign hanging on their yard. We shouldn't be spending the majority of our time worshiping God inside these four walls. Consider your calling. Do you do what you do because it's what you can do? Or do you do what you do because God equipped you to do it? Two very different results. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, today's the day of salvation. If you don't not comfortable coming up and talking to me, hang out till everybody leaves. We'll we'll be across the sanctuary from each other and shout back and forth if we need to. I'll call you on the phone. We can talk over however we need to do it. If the Holy Spirit moves you, and only if the Holy Spirit moves you, please get in touch with me. If you're watching this on Facebook, send me a message. My phone number is also on Facebook. Call me. If you've got questions, call me. If you're here today and you're a believer, if you're watching today and you're a believer, the time has far passed for us to be individuals who know what it is that the Lord has told us and who absolutely understands what his expectations for us are. Either we're living faithfully within, within that relationship or we're not. Don't be afraid for your life. Don't be afraid for your well-being. Have faith in Christ. Consider your calling. Be who Jesus made you to be. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.